Welcome to Christian Faith Center. We're a church that meets in multiple locations. If you'd like to know more about our church, just head to our website, experiencecfc.com. Thanks for joining us. Amen and amen. Welcome again. I'm not the... He's around all the time. He's with us all the time, but sometimes we don't see it, we don't acknowledge it, we don't recognize it. Psalm 46.1 says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present, say present. I said, say present. It's group participation today. Present time, help in trouble. He's always present. Joshua 3.6 says, in the morning, Joshua said to the priests, lift up the Ark of the Covenant and lead the people across the river. And so they started out and went ahead of the people. In other words, Joshua is saying this. We've got to follow the presence of God into the promises of God. The reality is the ark in that day represented the presence of God. And where the ark went, that was God's presence. And they were to follow the ark, the presence of God. They were to follow his presence into the promise. And he knows Joshua at that time, they needed to step into the promises, but they needed to follow his presence first. The people of God had been wandering for 40 years. And, but you look in Numbers is the reason why. It says in Numbers 14, 34, because your men explored the land for 40 days, you must wander in the wilderness for 40 years. A year for each day, suffering the consequences of your sins. Then you will discover what it's like to have me for an enemy. I don't know about you, but I never want God as an enemy. I want God on my side. I want his presence on my side. I don't know about you, but I don't want to go anywhere without God's presence. I don't want to do anything without God's presence. I don't want to pursue any course of action or direction in my life without his presence. So let me ask all of us this morning, what is the barrier standing between you and a profound move of God's presence in your life? What's standing between you? What barrier is keeping you away from the, the, the promises of God that he has for you today? I want all that God has for me. But it only comes by being in, by dwelling in, by residing in, by, if you will, leaning in to the presence of God. I need his presence in everything I do and not before God. There's a difference. We need to recognize it this morning. It's all about his presence leading and directing. They all kept their eyes on the Lord's presence as they move forward. And there were a lot of them. I found that the more I seek God's presence for my life, the more I think I'm right where I need to be, the harder the enemy fights. The harder the enemy tries to distract, to discourage, to defeat, to destroy. There's always, and the enemy always has a trick to try to get you on a detour and off the path that God has called you to. I read this, Charles Spurgeon said this. He said, the best evidence of God's presence in your life is the devil's growl. See, when you're doing something for God, and you're on the right path, you're doing the things that he's called you to do, you know the enemy's not going to like it. You expect to fight. God's presence needs to determine our path, and he will give you the path. He will show you the path. We need to make sure we stay on that path. I read about a, a man who took a trip to, to Africa, to the rainforests. He was following a professional guide. And the guide and this, this traveler were out there in the middle of the rainforest. And the guy was hacking away at this wall, this forest. It was just thicker than thick. They could hardly move. You couldn't see in front of you. It was just, and he's whacking away at the stuff. And 
And the, the traveler said, well, well, you know, where are you going? How, how do you know where to go? Where, where's the path? And the guide simply said, I am the path. And you know, church, sometimes in life, it's like a jungle. And we get caught up in the proverbial rainforest, if you will. And the reality is we need someone that knows where they're going and knows how to get there. And there's only a person that I put my hope and my trust in, and that's God the Father. That's God the Son. That's God the Holy Spirit. I want him guiding and directing my life and nobody else. It's easy to get your eyes on somebody else, but I want to challenge you today. Keep your eyes on him, what the word of God says and how he encourages you to move. I guarantee you, you will find yourself continually in the presence of God. Too many times we want to determine our own path. We want to go our own road. Well, Lord, I know you want me to go there, but I feel more like going this way. And we go that way, and then we want God to bless that way when it was never his intention in the first place. Anybody ever go on a road trip years ago and use one of these? Now, some of the Gen Xers and Gen Zers and Gen Zebras or whoever they are today, I don't know all of the Gens, but... You know, I remember as a kid, as traveling, and even in the 70s in college, going to college, when leaving Southern Oregon, going to Southern Cal, I had one of these in the car seat beside me. And I was plotting out the next town, and there's little numbers between one town and the next, because that's the miles, you know, if you didn't know that, people. And then you add all those miles, and it tells you, and you know how to get there, and you use a... I walked into a gas station, I said, by the way, I need a road map of Idaho, and the girl behind the counter says, What? And I said, I, I need a road map. Notice how easily that folded. I'm amazed I was able to do that. <laughs> Used to take a rocket scientist to do that. But bottom line is, she says, what's a road map? And I said, you've got to be kidding me, sweetheart. A road map? You mean like that thing on the phone? Yeah, like that thing on the phone. I need it for an illustration. I ended up having to go to AAA because the two gas stations I went to didn't have a map. Go figure. The reality is we used to use this all the time, but now, now, but now, we have the sweet British lady in our GPS. And she tells us where to go. And she directs you. It's amazing. When you punch in the coordinates, how many miles, when you will arrive, and it decreases as you get closer, and it tells you stay in the second lane from the right and stop at the next signal and turn left and turn. Anybody ever argue with the GPS lady? She says, turn left. Well, I know that's not where I want to go. It's over there. So I turn right and she says, turn left. And she says, and the next stop, make a U-turn. And the next stop, make it. I don't want to make a U-turn. I want to go right. The reality is the GPS lady knew something that I didn't know. Catch this. She knew there was that wreck or that proverbial Idaho detour because they're doing something on that road I didn't know about last week. And she, t and you, she has something that she's able to, to capture. The technology allows her to, to try to direct you away from all that. But how is it with us, with God, when he gives us a clear direction, a path, and we choose, well, God, I really don't want to do that right now. I want to go there. And you go there. Oh, God, why am I here? Why? Because you chose not to follow the leading and the direction that comes to walking in God's presence. Proverbs 3, 5 says this, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Don't depend on your own understanding. Seek his will in all you do and he will show you which path to take. I don't want to be anywhere, go anywhere, do anything without God's direction and his presence working in my life. The right path. The presence of God determines that for me. He determines the right path, but God's presence also needs to determine our pace. 
The rate at which we travel on that path. Joshua 3, 2 says, three days later, the Israelite officers went through the camp giving these instructions to the people. When you see the Levitical priest carrying the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord your God, move out from your positions and follow them. I find it interesting that they arrive at the Jordan after all this time. They get there. The promised land is just on the other side. And they're waiting for three more days. Now, I don't get it. He had a plan. Maybe he wanted to teach them, maybe he wanted to teach them patience. How many of you know that God does his things his way and his time? And it's not always our plan and our time. Have you ever tried to help God with his schedule? Yeah, I think we're all guilty. They wander around for 40 years in a trip that should have taken 40 days. They finally move out under Joshua's leadership. They arrive at the Jordan. All they have to do is cross. And they made it. But wait. Let's wait three more days. What's wrong with you, man? I mean, come on, cross. We're here. Let us cross. Put in perspective. I don't know how many of you have ever taken your kids from Nampa to Disneyland in Anaheim. Road trip. You get out your map, you get it all planned, you get your map quest, you get your GPS, whatever on your phone. And whether you do it all in one day or do it in two days, it's a long trip. Daddy, when are we going to get there? How much farther, Dad? How much longer, Mom? All that stuff you go through. You finally get there. You drive in the Disneyland park, you get to the Disneyland hotel if you're so fortunate. And you get the hotel and you get in, get all unpacked and ready. Kids are dying to go and Dad says, we're going to wait three more days. Can you imagine the reaction? Kid, the promised land is just across the parking lot. That $950 day pass is waiting for you. <laughs> you think I'm lying. <laughs> yeah. The bottom line is they don't want to wait. They want to go. And that's the way the children of Israel, they didn't want to wait. They have to stay back a half mile, stay away. Anybody here guilty of tailgating? Oh, okay. <laughs> Immediately hands went up. We've got honest people here. It's amazing. Yeah, we're all guilty of it from time. I remember following a car pulled up to a stoplight on an off-ramp, and there's a bumper sticker, but I couldn't read it. I kept getting closer and closer, and it said, if you can read this, you're too close. Back off, fool. <laughs> you know, sometimes we get too close. Sometimes we can't really see. If you get too, too close to a sugar beet truck in the freeway, you can't see much else. You got to stay back so you can see. You're too close. And in God's strategy, you get too close and you can't slow down. You get too close and you can't see the turn ahead. You don't want to be too close. That's why he made them stay back. I want to see what's ahead of me. Oh, how we need this today in our lives. Our pace in this day and age is too fast. It's too aggressive. It's too tiring. It's exhausting. Gail and I came out of California and we, we thought we would get, get out of that rat race. And praise God, Idaho is a different place. But you know what? There's a lot of Californians here. With that same mentality on the freeway and the highways and the streets. And you know what? We're all in a hurry. Let's just face it. We got a microwave mentality, a fast food mentality. I want my promise and I want it right now, bless God. Don't make me wait. You pull in the McDonald's drive through and you got your timer going. Okay, they say three minutes. It's going to be free. Three minutes or I get it free. Three, hey, you said we could be out here in three minutes and I want my Big Mac now. That's just the mindset we have sometimes in this world that we live in. We get in such a hurry. But we need to take time and wait on God and his direction, his leading. And we aren't good at waiting. 
Trouble comes when we get ahead of God. We don't follow in the area we're supposed to. We want our promises and we want them immediately. We want the promise without his presence, without his covering, without his blessing. Isaiah 40, 31 says, but those who wait on the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings like eagles. They shall run and not grow weary. They shall walk and not faint. When we follow the presence of God, he will fight our battles. He will go before us and we will step into and experience victory in every area of our life. But we've got to have his presence in our life. It has to be real and tangible to us. We have to have faith in that. We've got to be intentional about drawing close to God. James 4, 8 tells us, come close to God and God will come close to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, purify your hearts for your loyalty is divided between God and the world. You want God's presence? Then press in, draw close. He didn't say he will draw close and then you're supposed to, no, you go first, you initiate, you go after it. Joshua challenges him to prepare. He says, be present. He's prepare your hearts, purify yourselves. Before we can experience and be powerful for God, we have to be pleasing to God. We want God's anointing, we want God's blessing, but we don't want his presence. We don't want his direction. We don't want his, his, his plan for our life. We want to do it our way. When we're in his presence, we do win. We defeat the battles and the, the barriers and the, and the barriers that are ahead of us and, and the obstacles that come before us. Here's my second point. You need to write this down this morning about position. They were positioned so the presence of God could break the barriers in front of them. He could break the barriers in front of them. Joshua 3, 14 says this. So the people left their camp to cross the Jordan and the priests who were carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. It was a harvest season. The Jordan was overflowing its banks. But as soon as the feet of the priests who were carrying the Ark touched the water at the river's edge, the water above that point began backing up at a great distance away a town called Adam, which is near Zarethan. And the water below that point flowed to the Dead Sea until the riverbed was dry. Then all, say all, all the people crossed over near the town of Jericho. The minute the feet touched the water of those priests carrying the presence of God, the water receded. You can't always wait for perfect conditions, church. You have to move when God says move. Moving with God guarantees his presence in the midst of the promises he has for you. I find it interesting that God chooses this season, this time for them to cross the Jordan. It's harvest season. And typically the Jordan River is at flood stage every year at harvest season. The most difficult time to cross the Jordan is now. Have they not faced enough barriers and battles? But here they are. It's gonna require the presence of God to deliver the miracle they need to get across. You and I are called to face great barriers in our lives, human obstacles that would hinder the divine timing of God's promises in our life. The greatest test, hear this, the greatest test is often just taking the first step with the possibility that it looks like maybe your feet might get a little wet in the process, stepping out when it doesn't make any sense. You see God's presence moving. Step out, follow he will always go before us. He will always destroy the barriers hindering our access to his blessings. God could destroy every obstacle in your life or he could choose to build a bridge over it. But you've got to be walking in his presence. When we honor the presence of God in our lives, God goes before us to fight our battles. In church, I've experienced this personally in my own life. I'm gonna close this morning with just a personal story so you know where I'm coming from and how real this is to me. 
Many of you know that I pastored my own church for a number of years in Sacramento, 10 years. And in my ninth year of those 10 years, in 2014, the spring, the board and I had to make a difficult decision and close our Christian school because of budget cuts and declining enrollment and a number of things. And I had to release a staff member. I laid him off as a person that I inherited when I took over the church 10 years before, nine years before. Needless to say, he and his wife were not happy with me. They joined together with a group of five other couples and began a smear campaign to destroy my ministry. Not in the church. Nobody in the church knew anything about it. They were writing letters to the district superintendent who was a very close friend. And it was all bogus garbage. They didn't like the way I took the offering. They didn't like the way I preached. It was all preferential things. They didn't like the way I combed my hair. I mean, I'm just saying that that's how ridiculous all these things were. Superintendent totally supported me, no big deal. But I didn't know about it until a former board member who had been approached by this group came to the board member and told them that, and that's how I found out. And my wife, Kathy, and I walked through hell. It stirs my spirit even today to think about what we walked through. Church, there's nothing like more lonely in ministry than when you've been betrayed by a friend. And we were betrayed, we were hurt. And I wanted so badly, so badly to lash out, expose them in front of the whole congregation and kick them out and put a pop knot right in the middle of their heads. I just, I just wanted, I was angry. I called a close friend, my pastor, mentor, Glenn Berto, and I said, Cluster Glenn, this is what's happened, what do I do? And he said, you keep preaching the word, you keep your head up, you don't let them think that they've had anything on you and they're not gonna affect you, you're gonna keep on doing what God's called you to do. Do you know how hard that is? I came home one night after a board meeting. I found my wife curled up on the couch sobbing. One of the people in that group was one of her closest friends. It wasn't an attack against her. It was an attack against me, but she was part of it because she was my ministry with me. She said, Mike, I can't do this anymore. Why would these people do this to you? You've done nothing to any of them. Why? I sent her away to spend some time with my sister here in Boise. And in September, she went and spent a few days with my daughter and grandkids in Southern Cal. On that Sunday morning in September, I was preaching, or tried to preach. In 2014, this started happening in May, and in September, we were in the thick of it. And I got up to the pulpit. I got five minutes into my message, and I broke. I was sobbing uncontrollably. I didn't know what was happening to me. The congregation didn't know what was wrong with me. Everything seemed totally normal. 650 people in the service, that second service, the place was packed and I couldn't get a word out. About that time, where my brother's sitting with the beard right there, a buddy at the church was sitting right there and he walked up on the platform big burly guy, about 6'5", huge guy, and he just smothered me, kind of like Pastor Jordan does. And he whispered in my ear, Pastor, I love you. I've got your back. And then he walked down in front of the pulpit and did this. Didn't say a word. My worship pastor came back to the keys. The worship team came back. I was still sobbing at the pulpit. 
And one by one, everybody started standing up in the congregation all over the place. It was unreal. And one by one, they came by. We're hugging. Pastor, we love you. We know what you're going through, but we love you. We support you. We love you. You got to get this church. It was a lesson from my life to know that God goes before me and fights my battle. Weeks before, I wanted to duke it out. I wanted to get it done. I wanted to do it my way. But God said, no, through a friend, you wait and let me take care of it. When all was said and done, all 600 circled that sanctuary, three and four rows deep, linking arms, raising hands, worshiping. In the back row, the dirty dozen, 12 people. That's what, that was the name I gave them. Sitting in the back row who had been friends. But their loyalty was more to this guy than there was to their pastor. They stood up and walked out and never came back. That was the day I saw God's power and his presence manifest in my church on my behalf to fight my battle. I knew that day that God's presence is real. I knew that God wanted to do something supernatural. I want you to know today, God will remove every barrier in your life if you trust him. That's exactly what he did that morning. Exactly what he did. We can't do anything with, without his presence, church. We can't get ahead of him. We can't get too far behind. Living in his presence isn't always easy, but I want you to know something. It's the most rewarding way to live your life. The barriers we encounter are simply preparation for the next part of our journey. You think about the children of Israel. There they are, they cross the Jordan. Oh boy, it's all peaches and cream now, God. Yay, God. They didn't know Jericho was just a cross, just a little ways down the road, another battle. We had some of the most incredible months of ministry after that in September. God was flourishing. The church was growing. It was just blowing up. Oh, God, ministry is fun again. You know, I've heard it said, pastor, pastoring would be great if you didn't have to deal with people. You people are wonderful. You, you, don't, think it, don't take that wrong. I'm not talking about any of you. February 15th. Two thousand fifteen was the next battle in the journey. Last Thursday was the ninth anniversary of my wife's passing. She died that night in my arms, room twenty-three, ER, Methodist Hospital, Sacramento, California, eight twenty-two p.m. And there I was in the middle of another battle. Just saw victory, saw barriers removed, saw God move, and oh God, I need Your presence now more than ever but I want you to know God was faithful and what he allowed me to see and experience in that season of betrayal, God gave me now in this place where I'm walking and having to trust God for him to touch us. Beth Moore wrote this and I'll close with this. She said, I don't know a single person who truly seems to bear the mark of God's presence and the power in his or her life who has not been asked by God to be obedient in a way that was dramatically painful. And if you serve God long enough, you're going to walk through some painful stuff. But you know, in the midst of that pain and that hurt, 
He brought that lady into my life. And where there'd been hurt and loss and suffering like I'd never felt in my life, I cannot describe, and those, only those who've gone through it can explain it, the anguish that you feel. Where there's no more tears you can cry. There's no more ache that you can feel. There's nothing, the gut-wrenching ache of a loss, and you can't explain it. And then in the midst of all of that, God sends this beautiful lady into my life after 50 years, 45 at the time. And God began to restore again, remind me that his presence is always near. I'm never forsaken. I'm never forgotten. And I want to encourage you this morning. You can trust God because his presence will always guide and always direct. Bow your heads in the all over this room. Father, I'm so grateful today for your goodness, for your presence in my life. God, where would we be without your presence? Where would I be without your presence? Today, Lord, I ask that you would make yourself real to every person in this room within the sound of my voice. God, if there's those questioning, facing barriers, battles, wanting your presence but not knowing if you're there, God, it's just like we talked earlier, your presence is always there, even if we don't see it or feel it. So, Lord, today I ask for your covering over every life. I thank you for that. If you're here this morning with every head bowed and every eye closed, you don't have the presence, you don't understand the presence of God because you've never received the one who brings his presence, this Holy Spirit through Jesus Christ, the Son of God. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord, your Savior, but you know today you can't do it on your own. It's not working out real well with your plan and the way you do things. You know God wants to change your life. You're sensing in your spirit right now, the Spirit of God has been ministering to, to many in this room, right? Even as I'm closing this message, you know that you know that you know that you need more of God. Some of you need him, period, because you've never received him. I'm going to ask you in just a minute to, to raise your hand and let me know that you need Jesus today. If you're in this room, this is a sacred moment, nobody moving, nobody leaving. Everything we have done this morning, from the worship to this word to this moment, has been designed for this one purpose. If there be one in the room that doesn't know him, that he knows him before they leave this morning, if that's you this morning, you say, Pastor Mike, pray for me. I need to know Jesus. I need his presence in my life because my life is a mess and I need someone to help me. If that's you, the count of three, would you lift your hand? One, two, don't even question or doubt. Three, lift your hand wherever you are. If you're here this morning, I'm looking to my left. I see your hand, brother, right over there. Amen, brother. I'm looking from my left to my right. Yes, I see you right there, honey, right there, middle. Praise God to my right. I see your hands over there on the right. God bless you, sir. Would everyone join with me and pray this prayer with me? Say, Lord Jesus, everybody repeat it. Lord Jesus, I need you today. I need your presence. And I ask right now, as I surrender my life, I open my heart. I ask you to come in. Accept me. Forgive me. Lord, please be the Lord of my life. Direct my steps. Be with me. Be present in all that I do, everywhere I go. Thank you for saving me. Help me live my life to glorify you. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.